are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. As many of you might know or have heard, I love to read. I read a wide range of books from really cheesy romance books to contemporary nonfiction to the classics. And when I mention to people how I love to read, I inevitably get asked the question, what's your favorite book? As any dedicated book lover will tell you, it's impossible to choose. And when I talk with my book-loving friends, they're more likely to tell me their favorite characters, Jane Eyre, Hermione Granger, Elizabeth Bennet. Personally, Matilda still holds the number one spot in my character list. When I think of scripture and my favorite characters, I think so much of the women of Genesis. The series is full of complex relationships, maternal figures, women who struggle with barrenness, and enslaved women. Hagar is my favorite character of the Hebrew Bible. I'm not sure I'm in the majority here, but Hagar tells the story of an enslaved woman, abused, assaulted, and somehow, through it all, she's faithful to God. A woman so bold in her pain as to give a name to the one who was previously unnamed. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 16, verses 7 through 13. The Lord's messenger found Hagar at a spring in the desert, the spring on the road to Shur, and said, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where did you come from and where are you going? She said, from Sarai, my mistress, I'm running away. The Lord's messenger said to her, go back to your mistress. Put up with her harsh treatment of you. The Lord's messenger also said to her, I will give you many children, so many they can't be counted. The Lord's messenger said to her, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You will name him Ishmael because the Lord has heard about your harsh treatment. He will be a wild mule of a man. He will fight everyone and they will fight him. He will live at odds with all his relatives. Hagar named the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roy, because she said, can I still see after he saw me? In Charlie's initial sermon on this series, when talking about Sarah, he used this slide. The plight of Sarah, Abraham, and Hagar isn't a pretty one. Abraham, or Abram, as he's called earlier in the narrative, is promised descendants greater than the number of stars. Through Sarai's barrenness, she makes the decision to give Hagar to Abram. Sarai, in this act of desperation, sends Hagar to be impregnated by Abram. Sarai hopes that Hagar's fertility will be able to provide an heir, an heir that God promised to Abram. In this time, the giving of slaves to act as surrogate mothers wasn't uncommon. 
We see this a few other places in the Bible with Rachel and her barrenness in addition to Sarai. In her barrenness, Sarai is at a loss for what to do with God's call, viewing her barrenness as her body's own failure. She's searching for a way to redeem that failure. Sarai uses her power as a slave owner to give Hagar to Abram with the intent to take the child who will hopefully be conceived and to raise it as her own. This narrative tradition revolves around the matriarch and patriarch of God's people, Sarai and Abram. In the story we'll tell in Kaleidoscope Kids, our children's worship, we'll say this in a couple weeks, it's called the Great Family. Conveniently, this children's lesson leaves out Hagar, leaves out Hagar's pain and the associated hardship of Hagar's story. The story of Hagar is one that's relegated to the back shelf a shelf where we leave the messy parts of the Bible for other people to think about. The family tree goes through Sarah and Abraham, down to their son Isaac and Jacob, and so on and so forth. When we climb back up to the top of the family tree, we see where we started. We start with a pregnancy and eventual birth of Ishmael by Hagar. In a simplified family tree, we lose the prolific abundance that is found in Ishmael's line. God's promises are fulfilled through Hagar and Ishmael, and how God's promise is not only to Abram, but to Hagar herself. We don't have much background on Hagar, other than she is Sarai's slave. Hagar is female, she's foreign, and she's enslaved. The control she has in this society is isolated to her fertility. Hagar is considered other, and that otherness is at the center of this story. Hagar, as a slave with no biblical backstory, has no bodily autonomy, and as the story shows, no power. In a power dynamic such as that between Hagar and Sarai, and then Hagar and Abram, Hagar's lack of status ensures that she has no power, as the power she held with her fertility is taken away. The world of Genesis, after the fall, is full of sin. This is more than the patterns of individual sin, sins of selfishness, greed, or even murder. The fallen world is full of corporate sin, sins that impact beyond the individual, and they permeate the entire society. Sins such as racism and sexism. Sarai is under the rule of her husband, and as Charlie said a few weeks ago, is silenced and forced to live under the sexism and oppression of Abram. Sarah's small voice, a voice that can't stand up to Abram, she uses that small voice to oppress Hagar. Sarai sustains Abram and the local society's patriarchal oppression and eventual racism to oppress Hagar. In Genesis 16:6, right before the start of our passage, it says, Abram said to Sarai, since she's your servant, do whatever you wish with her. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she ran away from Sarai. There's a womanist scholar Will Gaffney, who talks about Hagar and her book, Womanist Midrash. Womanist 
Womanism is a social theory based on the history and everyday experiences of black women. Like feminism, womanism emphasizes the female experience, but womanism emphasizes the black woman's experience. Gaffney takes time in this book to look at women of the Hebrew Bible through the experiences of womanism. We see sexism and racism as used to oppress Hagar in our story. Gaffney says, when Abram removes himself from the fray, Sarai takes her anger out on Hagar. Sarai brutalizes Hagar. The standard translation in English does not capture the physical violence that represented by the Hebrew word. In fact, Sarai's oppression of Hagar in Genesis 16.6 is the same as Egypt's oppression of Israel in Exodus. Hagar walks away from slavery. I want to say that one more time because it's so important. Hagar walks away from slavery. In what is probably the hardest decision of her life, she risks everything to walk away from her abusers and liberate herself from the hands of slavery. It's in this time of potential freedom where the end is in sight that Hagar is addressed by the Lord's messenger. God could have ended Hagar's story here. Hagar runs away and is no longer subject to the abuse of Sarai and Abram. The story of Hagar could have been one of liberation. But that's not how it's written. God asks Hagar to return to Sarai, into slavery, into abuse. And in that, God makes her a promise. Hagar will have many, many children, so many that can't be counted. This is not to say that a prolific line is worth going back into slavery, but it's a promise made by God to fulfill the larger will of God. Hagar is pregnant, and by going back to the house of Abram, Ishmael can be given the rights of the firstborn, Ishmael can be cared for and nourished in a home, and given a promise of being able to carry on the line of God's chosen people. God does not always liberate it's easy to remember the times of liberation in the Bible where God brings the Israelites out of Egypt and redeems and restores the people of God. But it's not always like that in a fallen world. God liberates, but God does not liberate all the oppressed. I feel like this is the best place to take a note and say that slavery in all forms is abhorrent. Although it's something that is in the Bible, it doesn't make it fully proper or right in the current time. The Bible has been used at the hands of oppressors for generation after generation. For the modern reader, it's jarring to have scripture that tells us that a liberated person needs to go back to enslavement. This is a reminder that the Bible is complex and nuanced and written by human hands. But we do have this text. We have scripture that we have to wrestle with and understand how the word of God plays into our life today. In the New Testament, Christ calls us to love and to care for the least of them. Although these are the words of Christ, we see this care for the least of us through the words and actions of God the creator. God reaches out to Hagar as a slave, as a woman, as a foreigner, God outstretches their hand and makes promises directly to Hagar about her future and about her descendants to come. God asks Hagar to be faithful in her actions, to trust in God and return to Sarai's home. 
Hagar is faithful to God, and that faith is recognized by God, though not necessarily by the hands of history. In this scripture, Hagar calls God El Roy, meaning the God of seeing. God saw Hagar exactly how she was. Unlike how Sarai and Abraham saw her, God saw her as a child of God, worthy of hope, worthy of love, worthy of affection. Although God sends her back to abuse, God makes promises and fulfills those promises. We believe in a God that sees us, a God that sees us in our sin and our brokenness. This is a God who sees us no matter how much money or power or wealth we have. A God who sees us in our darkest moments. Our God is a God of every single one of us. Hagar's faith, like Abraham's, was tested. But her faith, unlike the patriarchs, was not immortalized in art, literature, or in the genealogies of the New Testament. Yet just one person in our scripture dared to name God. It wasn't a priest, it wasn't a prophet, it wasn't a warrior, and it wasn't a king. It was Hagar. Woman, foreigner, slave. The voices of the women of Genesis have been silenced for generation after generation. But I hope that through this series, you've been able to glimpse a small window into the joy, passion, and faith of these women. Women have always and continue to have things to say. We ask each other as Christians to look at the Hebrew Bible and to glean what we can from the experiences of people thousands of years ago. To lift up the voices of the people long silenced and to continue to lift up the voices of people who are silenced today. Thank you.